My initial mindset was that I needed to behave and lead the way that I had always seen other leaders lead, but that wasn't me. I, I, so the, really the tipping point for me was when I realized that I needed to lead the way that Jasmine leads. Mm. Jasmine is not, I was not an infantryman. I'd come up as a military intelligence officer, but that in and of itself had a lot of strengths. I was also a woman. So being an intelligence officer plus being a woman of color, mm. those were things that actually were strengths. <laughs> Folks, my name is Kenny Vaughn, the director of Breakline Apex, and I am here with one of our Apex heavy hitters, Jazz Matupali. I would absolutely love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners, if you could tell us your name, where you're from, where you work, what an average day looks like at your amazing organization that you're part of. I just, we just love to hear more about everything that is Jazz Matupali. Thanks, Kenny. And I want to start by saying thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm Jazz Matapali. You and I went to West Point together. I was actually on the track team with your wife. Watch out now. Y'all right? make a move, make a move so we, now. The, uh, you are definitely my brother in, in more ways than one, I think. So I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I was born there and I went to junior high and high school actually in South Jersey and Lawnside, New Jersey. So a lot of folks when I, as, I've, as I've grown up have said, you don't have an accent. And I think it's because they've just canceled each other out. It's like the Texas twang and like the South Jersey Philly accent are just completely opposite. So they, they've just canceled each other out. Right now I am I am director of our customer experience data and insights team here at Gusto, and I'm also empowering our payroll transfers team, which is a part of our payroll new customer onboarding flow. So yeah, I've been with Gusto for about 18 months now, and my day-to-day is really indescribable. I am I feel so lucky in that I've been trusted to build this new capability from the ground up, the data and insights a team for our customer experience org. And really my day-to-day is just all about figuring out how to drive business impact, how to inform data-driven decisions, helping to build strategy, optimizing for the long-term for this um, amazing company, Gusto. We are the people platform built for small business. So I, I absolutely want to go back and take a deeper dive at some of the work that you're doing at Gusto. But before we do, I do not want to gloss over the fact that you are an African-American woman who not only went to West Point, which is no small feat, but also served uh, honorably in the military. I'd love to hear a little bit more about both those experiences, either or, whichever one. If there's any stories that kind of stick out or resonate, I'd love to hear your experience as a black female veteran. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I was I served in the army for 13 years, and before that, obviously, four years at West Point. I was on the the track and field team at West Point, which I think was just an amazing community and really uh, gave me a sense of belonging 
which I loved. But <laughs> especially I was as a black woman, I think we maybe had maybe 10 or 11 black women in my entire class of about a thousand. And then on top of that, I was an operations research major, which is like a, a STEM field, mathematical sciences and systems engineering. So oftentimes the only person in the classroom that looked like me whatsoever. To be a part of the, the track and field community was really amazing. I, I just felt like it was quite diverse and gave me a, a community that I was really seeking there at West Point. My Army career, I commissioned as a military intelligence officer in 2006. I had deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Iraq, 15 months in Mosul. I was an assistant S2, but I was doing a dynamic intel intelligence, targeting operations, hostage recovery, that sort of thing. So it was like very, mm. just very dynamic. Learned a lot. My deployment to Afghanistan, I was actually a company commander, and that was a really unique situation because I, I took command, I think just about a month before we were deploying, and the, of, it was a headquarters company. And just before I was deploying, the, our mission changed. It was during the drawdown, and so you had to do more with less at the time. And I was originally supposed to be the, like the FOB mayor, the Ford Operating Base mayor, and it was going to be just very administrative, logistical type role in addition to owning the headquarters and that very quick <laughs> that turned to we're in the drawdown we we don't have enough you know resources to cover down so we're going to augment your company with infantry and you're going to be a battle space owning unit as, mm. as a headquarters company and you're a military intelligence officer and so that deployment i think was just very <laughs> just a very unique situation i hadn't known any women still didn't I still don't didn't know any women who had served in that capacity to that point so I was battle space owner for Puli Alam district which was a key terrain district in eastern Afghanistan for almost a year and we did everything that you would expect an infantry company to do plus the headquarters mission plus we served also as a Ford support company because we had the the maintenance element there as well so that deployment was pretty pretty unique, I'd say. Pause for a quick moment, because if I'm understanding you correctly, you're telling me that you assume command of a headquarters unit, you're mentally preparing for one mission. As you get there on the ground in Afghanistan, you quickly learn that your mission has drastically changed, and oh, by the way, you're an owner of this battle space. Is that correct? Pretty much. I think half of my company was already deployed forward. That so, I... <laughs> so how in the world, okay, so how in the world, okay, let's just, let's just pause here for a moment. How do you mentally navigate and prepare <laughs> to make that switch? Because I want to know, like, what space did you have to go into to find the strength and resolve to not only mentally adapt for yourself, but now the hundred or plus soldiers that you're responsible for, now you have to prepare them for this new mission. Walk me through that if you don't mind. Yeah, I think adaptable is a really good word there. Another one I think is trust. And so mm -hmm. I had full faith and trust in my first sergeant who to this day is just one of my, my, my closest friends and brothers for life. And my soldiers were just amazing. And so I had full faith and trust in my soldiers to be adaptable. 
and I had full faith and trust in my first sergeant and we had an amazing team so I felt that we could adapt to anything. I think the mindset for me really had to turn from I think for me the my mindset was there's really no time to to wallow or panic. We've got to get things done and I the weight of responsibility as as a leader of soldiers, especially in a combat zone, it's you are responsible for everything that your unit does or fails to do and I really had never felt that weight of responsibility so heavy as I did during this deployment. I think for me, the mental journey was that, and, and really what helped me to build some confidence, was that I went in, and my initial mindset was that I needed to behave and lead the way that I had always seen other like combat arms leaders lead. But that wasn't me. I, I, so the, really the tipping point for me was when I realized that I needed to lead the way that Jasmine leads. Jasmine, Jasmine is not, I was not an infantryman. I'd come up as a military intelligence officer, but that in and of itself had a lot of strengths. I was also a woman, so being an intelligence officer plus being a woman, those were things, and a woman of color, those were things that actually were strengths, could be strengths. And I was battling up against assuming that those things were weaknesses. But once I realized they were strengths, once I realized that being a woman and having other women in my unit to put out in, on the battle space and bringing that, unique, being, bringing that unique capability to the battle space was a strength, all of a sudden, we were able to get intelligence that others weren't able to get because mm. we could engage very freely with the women and the children. We could do women's empowerment initiatives and education initiatives that none of my other 31, I think there were 31 other commanders in our brigade and none of them were women. And so once we real, I realized that was a strength uh, rather than a weakness and the way that I thought was very different than the way that my my fellow commanders thought, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I was still able to take, we were still able to take hundreds of, of pounds of HME off the battle space. We essentially decimated the Taliban winter command structure ahead of, ahead of the spring offensive. We, we were able to take the winter commander, the winter financier, and the winter bomb maker off of the battlefield and get them arrested and off the battlefield so then the spring and summer weren't as bad for everyone else because the, the prep staff for the Taliban was, was gone. And we were able to do that by really leveraging the additional intelligence. If you're only able to engage with military-aged males, you're yeah. really missing more than half of the story. You're not able to see the, the full story. <laughs> This is tremendously insightful. There are so many different ways that we can go with this, but I am feeling led to 
Now talk about your experiences being an African-American woman in tech. Because what I loved about what you just shared is how you almost have this paradigm shift, right? Where you're going through and you're looking at being a woman, being a person of color, and like how on the surface these things can be perceived as disadvantages. But as you have this paradigm shift, you now begin to realize in a foreign country, in a combat zone, that these things are actually combat multipliers, that they are allowing you to navigate the battle space in a way in which other commanders cannot navigate. They're allowing your unit to have insights and access that other units can't have because of your identity as a black woman. So I'm just trying to follow that line of logic, and I would love to hear your thoughts on what it is like being a black woman in the tech industry. Being a black woman in the tech industry for me is really empowering. I, I can't speak for really anyone else but myself, obviously, but I, rem- I recall going through the interview process and really from the first conversation I had with Gusto, there was this idea, you think of culture fit, you hear that a lot, culture fit. And this conversation I had with my first discussion with a leader at Gusto, and I remember he said, we don't really do culture fit here, we do culture add. Mm. And I love that concept. Mm. I love that concept. The concept that you can bring your authentic self to work. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can you bring that back one more time for our listeners that might have missed it? I picked it up. Yes. Can you drop that pearl of knowledge one more time for our listeners? We don't do culture fit, we do culture add. Mm. So you bring your authentic self to work. You can be authentically you and how you approach problems and how you approach leadership. And that adds to the culture. We don't need you to fit into our box. And that resonated with me so deeply, especially coming from the military, right? Remember, 13 years in the Army, plus four years at West Point, very much trying to fit myself into We are used to fitting in boxes, yes. Exactly, (laughs) yes. And so for the first time, I hear this, pearl of no no be yourself authentically and we want that to add to our culture and that resonated with me on a personal level but it also resonated with me on an academic level because I really take a systems thinking approach to problem solving and approaching puzzles. And and for those of you who might know, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but you are a tremendously humble person. So for those (laughs) listeners who might not know, what Jasmine did not mention was that she was also a professor of systems engineering at the United States Military Academy at West Point. So when she says she takes an academic approach, she is not kidding. (laughs) She takes an academic approach. So please do carry on. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No. I know. So like putting Jasmine's professor hat on, one of the foundations of systems thinking is this idea of mental models and that we all have our own mental models. One person might look at a dog and immediately want to go and pet it and smoosh its face like that's me. Somebody else might be very fearful. And those are very different mental models that are built on experiences and demographics and just life. And so If you're approaching a puzzle, like a very complex problem, and everybody is thinking the same, everybody has the same types of mental models and the same types of backgrounds and experiences, you're missing a huge chunk of the picture, right? Like, 
I like working in teams where m my mental model is unique. And if I'm approaching a puzzle, I want I want the folks around me on my team to be, think differently than I do and think differently than each other because then we're able to fill in the gaps in one another's mental models. And so academically, the, the culture ad concept really resonated with me. And I, f I remember it from that first discussion and I continue to keep that in my mind day after day. And so I love that because I know that if I'm the one in the room that's saying something completely different or off the wall, it's not going to, it's welcomed. It's, it's appreciated because mm. that's, I'm bringing that authenticity and, but so is everybody else. And I think what comes to mind for me as well is what you're really hitting on is the importance of not only diversity, but really inclusion, because I think people talk diversity all the time and diversity is you've got a wide set of experiences and backgrounds in the room. But what you're saying is the inclusion part is absolutely at the forefront within your organization where people want you to bring your full self to every single conversation, every single challenge, every single problem, because they see the value add in those different experiences and in the mental frameworks and, and mindsets that you were sharing about a second ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I... The, the other thing is, I think the other thing that's really important is transparency. We don't always get it right. Nobody does. But not getting it right and then doubling down or covering up, I think, just furthers the, the problem. But one of our core values at Gusto is this idea of transparency. And so when we don't get it right, we're very open about it. Okay, we didn't get this right. I see that every day. Okay, we didn't get this part. What can we do to fix it? And I, I, that's something that also resonates with me. And when you think about the culture of an organization, I think it's very easy to perpetuate this like super amazing culture when things are going wonderfully. Everything's going on the up and everything's rainbows and roses, right? But <laughs> it's really in those, and I, I, I've lived this in my own life, it's really when the system is stressed, like when things are in those tough times, that's when I think true character comes out and true culture comes out. I'm sure as many, I think many military veterans will know, at least me, I was at my worst on deployment. The kind of the exhaustion and the stress and the high stakes and the, just the, the worst tends to come out of you. My worst is definitely different than other people's worst, but I never lose sight of my character and my values and my morals and what I probably my favorite thing and the thing that I miss the most about the military is I recall just especially that Afghanistan deployment which was so violent I recall just feeling like oh I'm just at my worst but my soldiers still embrace me and I still embrace them and just this understanding of it is family and in many cases I think in the, in the military, your fellow soldiers know more about you than your actual blood family does. And, and because of the, the high stakes and the high stress. And if I take that same concept and I apply it to what's been going on the last year, remember for Gusto, all of our customers are small businesses. And we want small businesses to thrive and we love our customers. I'm in the customer experience org. Like I, I feel very deeply this call to support small businesses. And so with 
you know, everything going on in the economy over the last year, it's been, it's not been the rainbows and roses. And so when I, when I think about Gusto, I really think about the last year because I did see this, everybody pulling together to do everything we could to support our customers rather than worrying about bottom lines or, or your profits or anything like that. It was how do we best support our small businesses through this? How can we meet them in this moment? And that was really inspiring and definitely showed me that I made the right choice. So I want to unpack the idea of character and values a little bit more. Because as we talk about Breakline and particularly the rollout of, of the newest vertical Breakline, Apex, which is specifically for people of color from across all industries, you're a tremendously busy person. So you, you didn't need to necessarily step up to the plate and help in the way that what you did to help roll this vertical out. Why was it so important to you to be a voice in the room, to be an advocate, to be a champion for this new vertical for Breakline, why was that something that that you felt was compelled enough to be a part of? I felt compelled to get involved with Apex because I saw a need. And when I think about intersectionality and I think about Breakline, whom I'm just forever grateful to Breakline, but Breakline has the Veterans Vertical, which is uh, the program I came through. They have mavens for women, and then this idea of apex for, for people of color. And I really am at the intersectionality of all three of those. Mm-hmm. And I also see a need for that. So I, f- I did feel it, that it was, I, I felt compelled and inspired to get involved, but I also saw the need in real time. I think there is a hunger to increase representation in the tech industry but there's not necessarily a good means. I think in, it, I, what I've seen across the board, and this is the conversation I had with Bethany when we were first discussing it, I don't even know how long ago, but when it was just an idea, I, I said, I think that the go-to tends to be, let's go to an HBCU and do some recruiting. And so you go to an HBCU, you do some recruiting, you bring in kind of these entry-level, diverse slate of candidates, into the organization, but the organization doesn't have the structure or leadership that is set up to, to allow those junior candidates to succeed in the company and grow in the company. If you don't have mid-level leaders that, can, that, that have experience in leading diverse teams successfully, you end up with this kind of barbell I've seen. So you, you have entry-level candidates and then you have like super senior people of color but that middle level, that's really where success is made, I think, for those junior folks that you're bringing in. And that's the piece that's missing. And so I saw, I definitely saw in real time across the board in the tech industry this issue. And, and so when Bethany and I first started discussing it, I was like, yes, do it. This is definitely a need. We need to find other avenues and pathways for people of color into the tech industry that's not just college recruiting. Well, and I think what's so insightful about what you just shared is I love the systems approach that you bring to all challenges because you're absolutely right. It's a systems problem. And you have different entry points. You have different Mm -hmm. funnels. You have different systems that are all tied together. And I think 
which you have eloquently laid out is all these things need to take place simultaneously, right? And this is such a complex, challenging problem that a lot of smart people, a lot of passionate people have been trying to work on for literally decades. And to be able to add one more kind of resource to get after the diversity issue within the tech sector, I think the way that you laid it out was super awesome. So thank you for that insight. And you, you mind if we, I got one last question for you. you, mind yeah, we, you mind we, now I'm going to preface this question because I want to state that black people, black folks are not a monolithic people. We have a diverse set of experiences, diverse interests and, and things of that nature. But what I will say is that for just about every black person that I know, we do have one experience that unites us all. And that's the family barbecue. Okay? Okay now. Okay. You, you know a little something about the family barbecue? Oh, I do. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about them barbecues out there in Houston that you grew up with? Can you tell me a little bit about the family barbecue? Oh, my goodness. So my father mm-hmm. was a six-foot-four... 300 and something pound man and it did not matter if it was negative five degrees outside he would still be outside <laughs> okay we had one of those barrel grills i know which one you're talking about i know exactly right? what you're talking about like just a literal barrel with a grate that was just <laughs> like hand cut laid on top of it he would make miracles people would just literally come into the backyard to <laughs> and so from texas we don't do sauce only dry rub mm. mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. no sauce and so I, to this day i do not like sauce on my ribs so that's how you know i'm from texas we our cookouts were epic ribs brisket we would do mm. crab cooks you put me on game right now right <laughs> like crab cooks oh my goodness and my we would just have we would just lay newspaper out all over on yes. the table, you know, on the on the benches, on you the tables. Craw- you got them craw daddies, yeah. So yes, falls on up with them eat. crawfish. Oof. Mm. Oh mm. man, now my mouth's watering. I you gonna mess around, make me? You gonna mess around, <laughs> make me take make a, a trip to Louisiana for spring break? Now you over there talking about that newspaper right? and them craw daddies and the sausage? Now you you gonna make me make a trip? Now wait a minute, Burt's Meat Market in Houston. With the boudin. Oh. oh, the spicy boudin. And then, uh, wait a minute. My dad would drive us to outside Lafayette, Louisiana, to go get to, to Best Stop Meat Market to get these, like, smoked sausages. They were, they were so good. They had these, like, green spicy things in them. Just the best. And then I found out that they, they deliver now. So we're putting in an order so I can go back to my childhood memories. Because I'm in Colorado now. There's not, there's not like a Cajun food scene here. But, oh, man. Our, I'm t- when I tell you neighbors would just follow their noses to our backyard. you making me hungry. Can I put people on game while we're on the topic real quick? Please do. If you ever find yourself in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, if you just right. happen to be meandering through, Please, 
do yourself a favor and stop by Tony Seafood because when, Tony when you seafood. Tony Seafood when I tell you it's going to change your life I don't know if we're allowed to do advertising on the Brinkline <laughs> Arena but it's some good food it will check look I'm trying to tell y'all listeners if you want a life changing experience and you want to find out about this culture take yourself to Tony Seafood in Baton Rouge Louisiana I just wrote it down would you mind if I asked you a series of lightning round questions oh my to, goodness to, yes okay so conclude? then I got it. I'm not right. known for my brevity, so now it's I'm okay. stressed. Okay. These, are bi- these are binary, except for the first one and the last one. These are binary, so you should be good to go. Okay. <clears throat> the, first one's, the first one's not binary, so be prepared. What was your favorite dish at your family barbecue? Favorite dish? Brisket. Okay. Spades or dominoes? Oh, spades. Okay. Prince or MJ? Oh, Prince. Beyonce or Rihanna? Oof. Rihanna. I hope the the Bay Hive doesn't get me. This is surprising to me. Houston natives. The Houston natives are jumping ship here on on Beyonce. I don't know what's going on. No, nothing against Beyonce. It's just... Rihanna is a bit edgier for me, I think, and I, so, I mean, Beyonce for me is very inspiring, and I absolutely adore her story and her journey. Rihanna, I don't know, I just am more drawn to her vibe of music. Now, fun fact, for a solid, probably two months, every single night, Rama and I, Rama made me dance with him, the single ladies dance, like literally every (laughs) night. And the part where they like run, we had to run around the island <laughs> poorly. Like I dre- I danced it poorly, but I feel like there is more behind this story that we may or may not be able to share with our listeners. <laughs> I think it's because she wears the she's always wearing like the leotards, and he's in a he loves just w- running around in a onesie. So I think he thinks they're twenty. <laughs> I love it. So Rama prefers Beyonce. Uh, so it's a house divided, is what it's you're telling me. It's a house divided. Uh. This is the Nerd Rihanna collab for a, that song Lemon. Mm-hmm. Lemonade has been mm-hmm. yeah has been my jam this during this Rona life. Like it's on uh, my it's on my workout playlist. I ain't even mad at you, sis. I'm about to right. listen to it after we get done. Do it. <laughs> Last lightning round question for you. And I, I know I've stuck primarily on musicians, but I'm just trying to share some of the culture here. So I hope you don't get mad at me. But Babyface or Teddy Riley? I'm going to go with Babyface. With wow. happy childhood memories. Wow. I feel like Babyface got a clean sweep on that one. I got to go back and check the tape, but I'm pretty sure he got a clean sweep. Wow. Poor Teddy. I got to get some streams for Teddy Riley. Or if you had said Tevin Campbell. Oh, look, man. I look, loved me some Tevin Campbell. I, I'm about to go all the way down memory lane on that one. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate you. I have one last. This is the final question. It is not a lightning question. Please feel free to take your time. We are going to release this episode in honor and celebration of Black History Month. I would love to hear from you a figure in Black history, either past or present, that has been an inspiration to you. Someone who doesn't have to be someone famous. It can be someone famous, but someone that you just draw inspiration from in your daily lives that you want our listeners to learn and know a little bit more about. So Ida B. Wells 
has been an inspiration to me my my entire life. I just was so she was for those of you who don't know, she lived in the late 1800s, passed away in I think around 1930, 1931, but she was an investigative journalist. She was an educator. She was she was involved in the Um, NAACP, the founding of NAACP, and just absolute inspirational black woman who really went against the grain and was before her time, in my opinion. And so somebody who I've really been inspired by and, and draw strength from whenever I think that maybe somebody that looks like me should think twice before they do something. I think of Ida B. Wells, who just said, F that basically and you know just yes, you know, really blazed a trail before her time we think when we think of the civil rights movement we think of the 1960s but I, Ida B. Wells was born in the 1860s mm. and is known as a civil rights icon rightfully Tell you how I feel If you're talking, I'ma tell you she's real Life ain't always gonna catch you standing still Time ain't frozen So phenomenal selection for those of you who who don't know about Ida Wells I would encourage you to just give her a quick Google search give her a quick read because she lived an inspirational life she is one of the most courageous historical figures that I've ever learned about. She played an integral role in the anti-lynching laws. Her life was placed in danger on numerous occasions based on the work that she did to, to pioneer and to document some of the tragedies that were taking place all across the country. And Jasmine, I'm so thankful that you shared that insight with our listeners. So on that note, thank you, ma'am, for your time. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Music from today's episode was provided by Gabby Along, courtesy of Valerie Kingdom Records. Featured songs included Gift, Stuck in My Head Remix, and Rosé. We are so proud to also note that Gabby is a member of our Breakline family. Her music can be found on iTunes, Spotify, as well as other streaming platforms. We'd love if you checked it out, and we know she would too. Well, folks, that's all we've got for today. This is Kenny Vaughn, your director of Breakline Apex, signing out from the Breakline HQ. We'll see you on the high ground.